0: Our, Our Father, Father who, who art, art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Eltheto he basilea su, genetheto ta thelema su. Wie im himmel, so auf erden. Amai gut zu gaur, egon, onetako gia. Perdona nuestras ofensas, así como nosotros también perdonamos a los que nos ofenden. And ne nous soumets pas à la tentation, mais délivre-nous du mal. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back. Happy 4th uh, of July weekend. We're continuing our series, Ancient Future, Yesterday's... Truth for Tomorrow's Travels. And today, uh, as we're going through the Apostles' Creed, uh, we're looking at another section of the third article. Last week we said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And the next phrase is, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. So as we focus in on that statement, I wanted to start with this little story. Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump, I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew or someone of some other faith? He said, I'm a Christian. And I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? And he said, Protestant. And I said, me too. I said, what franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said Northern Baptist. I said me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said Northern Conservative Baptist. I said me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He said Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him over. (laughs) If you'll indulge me just one more. There was a guy, he had been stranded on a deserted island for 20 years. And when he was rescued, uh, the rescuers were amazed at what good shape he was in. Not just his physical health, but his mental health. Uh, spiritually, the guy just kind of had it together. It was as though he hadn't been um, distressed at all, having been stranded and all alone on the island for 20 years. And so they started to quiz him about it. Like, how, do, how did you survive? And he said, well, you know, I just... I just made it day by day. And they noticed that there were these three buildings along the beach. And so they said, what's, what's these, what are these buildings? He said, well, this first building is my house. I had to build a place to protect myself from the elements. That makes sense. They said, well, what's that second building? They said, well, the second building is my church. I felt like I needed a separate place to go and be with God and worship and pray. And they said, well, what's that third building? He said, "Ah, oh, that's the church I used to go to. I got a million of them, but (laughs) perhaps I'll just move on with the sermon. In our call to worship this morning, uh, Bev read this passage from Matthew 16 that is known as the Messianic Confession. This is a big part of the story of Jesus. So when Jesus comes on the scene, it's not altogether clear who this fellow is. Uh, Some say he's a prophet. Some say he's one of the old prophets, kind of come back to life. He's certainly a rabbi. He gets called that. But then at one point in the storyline of all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's this point where Jesus is confessed as the Messiah. Now in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that always comes on the lips of Peter, right? Who do you say that I am? Jesus asked the disciples at large, And then Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ. It's a major turning point in the story. It's as though no one prior to that point quite knew exactly who Jesus was, but though everyone after that point knows. It's like the cat's out of the bag. John is different. Uh, John tells the story differently in a lot of ways. But interestingly enough, the messianic confession in John's gospel doesn't come on the lips of Peter, but interestingly enough, on the lips of Martha. It's when Lazarus uh, had died and Jesus shows up and she's like, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like, where were you? And uh, he's like, well, you know, I'm sad. I'm sad with you. And she's like, well, that's good but we're all sad, but you could have done something about it. And he's like, well, we'll see him one day in the resurrection. And she's like, that doesn't help much. (laughs) And then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And she says, you're right, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So this, this confession, this messianic confession, is a very important part. All four Gospels kind of uh, pivot on that confession. Things that happen up until that point, and then things happen after that point. In Matthew's account of it, though, we find the only use of the word church that we find at all in the Gospels. So the word church only appears in Matthew 16 and it appears in this story where Peter says you are the Christ, right? So Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus in response says, I'm going to call you now Peter, apparently previously he'd been called Simon. He says, I'm going to call you Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on heaven will be loosed on earth. So here's a couple of points to be made. One, the church belongs to Jesus. The church is Jesus' church. Now, I know sometimes we'll use the possessive pronoun as we talk about church. We'll say, well, my church, right? I go to Oasis, that's my church. But when we say my church there, that doesn't mean possession. It means like relationship. It's the church that I attend. It's not like the church that belongs to me. Oasis doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to Phil or to Mikkel. It doesn't belong to you. But in a way, I guess it belongs to us. Or better yet, it belongs to Jesus, and we are a part of it. That it is Jesus' church. And there is, there is just one Church of Jesus Christ. There might be many manifestations of that church, many expressions of that church, but that church is a unitary, singular thing in this world. It is the church of Jesus Christ. A few other things about what we can learn from this passage. The church is not stationary. It's mobile. It's the church on the move. It says that the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. Now, sometimes I think that gets misconceived. We imagine the church as this little cloister of folks that have to huddle up and protect ourselves against the big bad world. As though if we don't protect ourselves, the world's going to kind of come in and destroy us. That somehow we have to resist the gates of hell. That is not the image that's being used in Matthew. The gates of hell are stationary. It's the church that's on the move. And as the church grows and as the church moves, it's the gates of hell that will not be able to withstand the growth and the movement of the church. That's, that's how Jesus is using the idea there. The church, and perhaps we've said this before, is not just a matter of four walls. Uh, we used to play this when I was little. we take our hands and we kind of lock them in like this. we say, here's the church. Do you know this? Here's the steeple. Open the door. And there's all the people. There used, to be, there used to be a church here in town, it was called Church Without Walls, and this was their uh, logo. Their logo were, were hands that were interlocked and kind of folded open to say, this is the church. Um, interesting enough, that church is no longer in existence, but I still love the imagery, right? I love the imagery that this is the church, that we are the church, and not just us as opposed to other groups of the church, but us inclusive of other groups of the church. So the church belongs to Jesus. The church is on the move. The church is not restrictive to one group of the church or one section of the church. But it is global and it is inclusive. One of the other major images used for the church in the New Testament is the body of Christ. It's a reoccurring metaphor that we find particularly throughout the writings of Paul. Here's one passage. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Paul says this For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Indeed, Uh, uh, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, and nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker um, are indispensable, And the members of the body that we think are less honorable, we clothe with great honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there be no need for dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Paul's pressing this point, not just that there's only one body of Christ, but that in the body of Christ, the, the calculus of honor and uh, respectability is being kind of turned on its head. The pieces that normally would be kind of said, well, it's part of the body, but do we really need it? Or, well, it's part of the body, but we're kind of ashamed of it. He's like, No. We're going to give a special honor to those parts that generally get ignored. So in the ancient world, it would have been the feet. The feet were something that were kind of a a bit of dishonor. Um, You wouldn't talk about feet. The feet were something that were kind of constantly dirty. But he kind of uses this idea that not only are we going to be inclusive, but we're going to make a special effort to honor those bits that the culture kind of finds disgusting. Are despicable, because we're all in this together. There is one body. No one part of the body can say, I'm not a part, and no one part of the body can say, I have no need for some other part of the body. So let's think about what that might look like in terms of global Christianity. Christianity is a broad and expansive faith. It can be found in every part of the globe. And it can be found in lots and lots of different expressions. There's a couple of uh, historians and kind of analysts of global Christianity, in particular Philip Jenkins, who now teaches at Baylor, and Jake Jacobson, who teaches at Messiah College, who have said that there are four major categories that Christians might be kind of uh, divided into. The first group is Orthodox. Perhaps you have some friends who are Orthodox, whether they're Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox, Syrian or Assyrian, Coptic, Ethiopian, Ethiopian, Armenian. There's a whole kind of expression of Eastern Christianity that might look very different to us. Like the way they practice their faith might not look similar to ours. But they believe in Jesus Christ, right? Right. They believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Right? They say the same creeds that we say. Now some of them might say it in Greek, or we say it in English, but it's still the same creed. And um, and the fact that we don't know about them, and the fact that they seem so different from us, is no reason for us to think that's not the part of the body of Christ. That would be like the hand saying, well, I don't really know much about that foot. Or the eye saying, I don't really know much about that ear. Perhaps you saw several years ago, there were 21 Coptic Christians who were murdered by ISIS on the shores of Libya. They were all dressed in orange jumpsuits. And it kind of made the news because they kind of got beheaded and it was filmed and kind of released. Look, There are Christians in in Baghdad, there are Christians in Jordan, there are Christians in Afghanistan, and Uzbekistan, and they're part of Christian communities that have been Christian communities for the last couple of thousands of years. Uh, Next year we're going to Israel, uh, and I would invite you to come with us. But one of the places we visit is an Assyrian Orthodox church a church where there's a nun there. Her name's Josephine. And Josephine's first language was Aramaic, like the same language that Jesus first learned growing up. And, and she'll be happy, trust me, she'll be happy to sing for you the uh, Lord's Prayer in Aramaic. There's about 4 million people living on the planet who still speak some version of Aramaic or Syriac as their first language. This this is part of the Christian faith, perhaps not part that we're so familiar with, but it's part of global Christianity. The second major group is Roman Catholicism. Now look, when I grew up, I thought that there were Catholics and there were Christians. Like I thought those were two different faiths. Like I thought you had to convert from Catholicism to Christianity. Like I thought on the list of people I needed to try and convert as my kind of goal of personal evangelism were the uh, you know, atheists, of course, uh, the Satan worshipers, as though there were a lot of those in Marion, Virginia. Um, the Catholics were on the list of people that needed to be converted, and, and the Baptists needed to get spirit baptized. Um, at least that's what we said anyway, and you think that's a joke, but it's not. Right. So I can remember multiple times, even though my grandmother was a Baptist, and she lived in a little place called Baptist Valley. <laughs> uh, once again, you can't make this stuff up. Um, but, but my other grandmother, uh, who was Pentecostal, you know, we would talk about uh, the televangelist. And uh, I said, what do you think about Billy Graham, grandmother? Called her grandmother. <clears throat> and she's like, well, he's pretty good, but he doesn't go all the way. Right? There's this belief that if people didn't believe just like you, if they didn't practice the faith just like you, if their, if their list of do's and don'ts just weren't like yours, then somehow they were kind of outside the fellowship. Like these were reasons to disfellowship from one another. It's an amazing kind of list of things. But let me tell you something about the Catholic faith. It is where all Protestants come from. Which we'll talk about the Protestants in a a minute. But the Catholics aren't necessarily just a unified whole. There are Benedictines and Jesuits. There's Franciscans and Dominicans. There's Carmelites. There's Trappists. And on and on and on. Right? So the current Pope, Pope Francis, is the first Pope from the group of Jesuits. There hadn't been a Jesuit who had become Pope previously to to Francis. But interestingly, he took as, as his name... right. Not uh, uh, Ignatius, the founder of the, of the Jesuits, but he takes us his name Francis, the founder of the Franciscans. So before, now I realize that some of you might have grown up Catholic and maybe part of your identification uh, and part of your personal faith journey might be moving from attending a Catholic church and attending mass and kind of practicing Catholicism, towards moving towards a more Protestant or evangelical faith, and that might be part of your journey. And I'm not trying to discount that in any way, shape, or form. But what I am saying is that just because you've moved on that particular path doesn't mean that you should discount everybody in the, in the faith tradition in which you were born or in which you were raised or in which you originally kind of found the faith. That there are plenty of folks, right, who attend Mass that are every bit as faithful or more than those who attend the churches that we do identify with. That when we're talking about global Christianity, who are they that say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord? It certainly has to include the Catholics and the Orthodox and the Protestants, right? So the third big group that Jenkins and um, Jacobson identify or Protestants. So we know this group, right, kind of started with Luther and the Protestant Reformation. It's an interesting group, right, because <clears throat> we say that it's a reformation. A reformation sounds like it's trying to reform the group that it's a part of. So if it was a part of the Catholic Church and this was a reformation, it should have reformed the Catholic Church. But it didn't do that much reforming and did more like splintering. Right, because there's about twenty thousand denominations now that would identify as being Protestant, and that's a lot. So, it shouldn't surprise us, perhaps, because what's the root word of Protestant? Yeah, protest. Right. If you have in your name protest, you can imagine that that group is not necessarily about getting along with everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of maybe maybe the very part of who you are is to try and figure out who you're not. So Protestants, so the Lutheran, the Reformed, the Anglican, the Episcopals, the Methodists, the Amish, the Mennonites, the Nazarenes, the Church of Christ, the Disciples of Christ, the United Church of Christ, the African Methodist Episcopal Zion, the Christian Missionary Alliance, the Christian Church, the Adventists, the Brethren, the Anabaptists, the Evangelical Free, the Church of God, meaning the Holiness group, not the Pentecostal group. You know, like Bill Gaither and that crowd from Anderson, Indiana. Yeah? Yeah. You know that? Because he lives... I can face tomorrow, right? Bill and Gloria wrote that one a few years back. So all of these groups, right, kind of fit into that kind of Protestant category. And I think sometimes when people think Christian, they just think Protestant. Now, this is going to surprise you, I think. The fourth category that Jenkins and Jacobson uh, mention is Pentecostalism, or Pentecostal and Charismatic Christianity. Now, a lot of people imagine that Pentecostals are just a subgroup of evangelicals and evangelicals are a subgroup of Protestants, and they historically trace it like that. But Jenkins and Jacobson are looking at Christianity globally, and particularly the indigenous churches that we find in South America, that we find throughout Africa, that we find throughout Asia, whether Central Asia like India or Southeast Asia, those churches are Christian, right?, they confess the creed. They believe in Jesus. And thanks. You think I need this? All right. So they, they believe in Jesus. They, they baptize those who confess their faith. They wash feet. They serve communion. They visit the sick. They anoint with oil. They have laying on of hands. All sorts of things, right? And um, But their spirituality is such that if you were to try and to define them, they don't really fit within the Orthodox group or the Catholic group or the Protestant group. And a lot of them, even historically, their origins don't originate from either Catholic or Orthodox or Protestant um, missionaries. They've, they've come to faith either historically, like they've been around like, from the beginning like one of the disciples went to some place and the faith has been around kind of ever since then. Or there are groups that have come to faith kind of through charismatic activity. Somebody had a dream or a vision and it started a church. There's a group in Central Africa, whoops, there's a group in Central Africa called the Akarinu. Uh, I met an Akarinu pastor when I was in Kenya a few years ago. So they're Christian. In fact, they self-identify as being Pentecostal. They speak in tongues and cast out demons and stuff. Um, But their group doesn't trace its origin to Europe or North America. Their group also, interestingly enough, wear turbans. And so I'm talking to this guy, and he's wearing a turban, and he's preaching in the little chapel at the little Bible college I'm at there in Eldoret. And afterwards, as we're talking, and he was like in his 80s, early 80s. He was particularly grieved because his daughter had started attending, wait for it, an Assemblies of God church. I know. Like, wouldn't that worry you? And he said she she took off her turban. He's like, I tied her first turban on her when she was two. So for him, the wearing of the turban was closely related to the following of Jesus, right? They had a practice, they had had a custom that they did that identified who they were and who they were as a family and who they were publicly. It was a way of identifying with Jesus Christ. And so for her to take off her turban was to kind of dismiss her kind of public and family identity. Fascinating, right? Because I think most of the people that live in my neighborhood, if they saw somebody in a turban, they'd think, hmm, wonder who the visitor is. Right? And they probably wouldn't think, oh, I bet you that's an Ocarino Christian. My point is this, is that the body of Christ, the body which Paul speaks of, the the family of God, this church that Jesus says is my church is broad and diverse. It's, it's local. We can find lots of expressions even in Lakeland or Polk County, but it is also global. And that's the church that we're confessing when we say the creed. When we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit and in the Holy Catholic Church, that reference, Catholic there, doesn't mean Catholic as opposed to Orthodox or Protestant or Pentecostal Charismatic, this was kind of before those divisions took place, and the word Catholic in a lowercase c just meant universal, Uh, global, right? I believe in the global church of Jesus Christ, that I identify with Jesus, and I'll identify with those that Jesus identifies with. And sometimes we have to kind of get over ourselves, Like, if we imagined, like, I go to this church, but I don't know if I like that, how things are going there, perhaps that church isn't for me, so I move and I go to this other church that's 10 minutes down the road. Well, you realize, that's like saying in the body of Christ, I go to the church on this knuckle, but there must be something wrong with that church, so I'm going to go to the church on this other knuckle, on the same finger, like... Literally, that's the movement that we normally take because we're not going to churches that are radically different than the ones we've come from, right? We're going ones that are just slightly different on this issue or that issue or this topic or that topic or how they sing this or how they do that or how they practice this. But it's all the church. Now, we've asked you uh, as you came in today to write down your name and your faith tradition or your kind of church of origin. So mine says, Robbie Church of God. Now, that's not the Bill Gaither Church of God uh, from Anderson, Indiana. This is the Cleveland, Tennessee Church of God. Uh, despite the fact that Hannah says they're not the snake handlers. Okay, fair enough. She says she wasn't a snake handler. And, and the Church of God doesn't currently practice snake handling. But they did at one time. I pointed that out. I used to be on staff at the mother church of that tradition, North Cleveland Church of God in Cleveland, Tennessee. It's the, as they like to say, it's the oldest continuing Pentecostal church uh, in the United States of America. So that church has been there literally on that same block uh, since 1906. And it's been a Pentecostal church ever since then. And at one time, the pastor there, A.J. Tomlinson's daughter in particular, uh, as she worshiped God, would often handle snakes. And so... Eventually, they would kind of dismiss that as a way of worship. Now listen, I'm not in favor of handling snakes. But what what you got to know is there are some Christians who are. Maybe that seems too bizarre for you to get on board with. But we all have those family members that are a little crazy. (laughs) Right? Everybody knows Uncle Joe. He just got out of jail. Yeah? But they're family. That before, before we speak so harshly about some other part of the church, let's appreciate the fact that that's part of the body of Christ. Now, maybe you think the body of Christ is sick in some parts. Or maybe you think it's kind of injured. But the thing to do is to care for the sick or injured group. Not to kind of cut it off. Right? You might say, well, I don't need my appendix. And if my appendix burst, it could hurt me, so maybe I'll just cut off that part of the church. But maybe we'll leave that part to Jesus. right? It's Jesus who's coming back to be the judge of the world, not us. In fact, we're never called to be judges. Do you know what we are called to do? Be witnesses. We bear witness to the light. We say, this is what Jesus has done for me. This is, this is what I've seen Jesus do for others. This is what I believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Catholic Church, in the communion of saints, in the forgiveness of sins, in the resurrection of the body, in the life everlasting. Amen. That is Christianity. And that is what all Christians confess. So what is this most defining characteristic, I think, of Christians? I think it's love. Jesus says that they will know you are my disciples because you have love one for another. When we don't express love, then we're not actually showing each other or the world that we are disciples of Jesus. This is what Jesus says. And I actually really like um, the King James on this one because he says that you'll, they'll know that you are my disciples because you have love one for another sometimes it gets translated in more kind of dynamic translations that you love one another. And that almost makes it sound like we're having degenerated ourselves. But love is actually the divine gift. Look, there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people in the church that I don't think I can love. Like, I can't just make myself love. Like, come on, Robbie. Start loving. But the the divine gift is love. Love is what Jesus gives to us so that we can then have, that you have love, one for another. Like the very loving that we do is not even of our own accord. It is a gift of God. Paul comments about the body. As we read earlier that passage from 1 Corinthians 12, it is followed by 1 Corinthians 13, often called the love chapter, which by the way is not about marriage, uh, despite its commonplace appearance in wedding ceremonies. It says this, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It's not a bad text to read in a Christian wedding. But the fact that it's almost exclusively read in Christian weddings, I think has led us to believe that this passage of Scripture is about marriage. That this is some high bar that if you can reach it, then maybe you can marry that person and stay with them. But that is not what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. This is not Paul's high bar, like, I don't know if we can get there, but if we can, you can marry that person. This is a low bar. This is his basic instruction for us. Like, this is, this is the requirement for being part of the community. Like, this is what we need to do with everyone, but especially those within the church. Be patient and kind, not envious or boastful, not arrogant or rude, not insisting on our own way, not irritable or resentful, not rejoicing in wrongdoing, but, but rejoicing in the truth Bearing all, believing all, hoping all, enduring all, and never ending. Paul writes this too uh, in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. This creed, right, was written as a summary of what people believed. Because we don't baptize the stranger, we welcome the stranger, we feed the stranger. We preach to the stranger, but we baptize the convert, right? We baptize the believer. What do they need to believe? This, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit. Uh, Hannah mentioned it earlier in the community of faith. We were kind of brainstorming with the staff this week, and uh, we looked at a variety of areas of Oasis, So uh, we looked at like Upstreet, you know, the children's ministry. We looked at C5, the youth ministry. We looked at the band and the tech crew and the cafe and the greeters and the ushers and those who serve communion and those who do reading and those who lead life groups and those who serve as elders. We kind of looked at every kind of capacity where we thought there, there was a way to kind of volunteer at the church. And we were really blown away by the length of the list like more than more than half of you significantly more than half of you volunteer in some form or fashion and that's commendable. I mean we that's that's who we are. It is what we believe in. Look, Christianity is not a spectator sport. Right? It's participatory. It's something that you do. It's a life that's lived. It's something that you engage. You're you're not you're not just thinking something, and you're not just watching something. It's not that I'm not interested in what you think. I'm a thinker. I like words. But at the end of the day, what I want to know is how do you live? How do you put this into practice? What does it look like in your life, in your family, in the place where you work, in your neighborhood, at your church? To believe in the Holy Catholic Church is to believe that we belong to Jesus and that our belonging to Jesus calls us to a participation with Jesus. A participation that is not individualistic. Right? It's personal, but it's collective. So it involves you, but it's not just you. So when we talk about the body of Christ, you, my friend, are not the body of Christ. You are a part of the body of Christ. You are a member of the body of Christ. And the same goes with the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week. That same passage in Corinthians will say, did you all not know that y'all's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? I mean, Paul's a good Jew. right? He believes that there's one temple. Right? There wasn't multiple temples, right? There was only one temple at a time, anyway. There was the one Solomon built, but it got torn down, and then they rebuilt it, right? And we call it the second temple. Very clever. <laughs> Not to confuse it with the first one. But what's interesting about Paul is he's already domesticating that. He's saying that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we are the body of Christ.